0: Welcome to the Green Acres Podcast. We are so glad you're here. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett.
1: What do you think you pursue most in your life? What dominates your time? What dominates your effort? What dominates your thoughts, what dominates your bank account, what dominates and what influences you most. You know, for some of us, what dominates us is happiness. I mean, you think about that for the moment. I mean, even the American standard is uh, that we should be free and free enough to pursue what? Happiness. That's strike one for being asleep, okay? I'm going to say it one more time, okay? What do we as Americans pursue? Happiness, okay. We, We kind of equate happiness to the chief end or the chief aim. Like if we can achieve happiness, then what else is there? You know, this is the way the world thinks. And so we try to get a better job so that we can have more money, so that we can have more happiness. We try to get that promotion because of happiness. We spend all day watching college football in hopes of just having a glimpse of no more sorrow and heartache, but happiness. We watch the Cowboys year after year, just thinking this might be the year to have happiness. It just lets us down again. But the truth is, is that as followers of Jesus, this is not our chief end. This is not our chief aim, because we know that happiness is based on nothing more than our circumstance. And if your circumstances change, then so does your happiness. But Peter teaches something different. In fact... All throughout scripture, we see something different because I want us to be cautious here because we cannot think of happiness as evil because happiness is a gift from God. To have an emotion of happiness is good, right? It just depends on where it's anchored. You see, if happiness and the pursuit of happiness leads you away from Jesus, then yes, that is evil. But if happiness and the pursuit of happiness leads you to the throne of God, then that should be good, right? You see, what Peter gets at is, is he's saying, listen, even in the midst of everything that you're walking through, no matter what circumstance changes, you cannot just have this temporal, superficial happiness. But instead, you can experience a deep abiding in Christ known as joy. So if you have your Bibles, would you stand with me as we read First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, and I want to tell you, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, then there is a Bible right in front of you. You just take that one if you don't have one, okay? And if you don't have it, listen, it'll also be on the screens for you, but let's read together starting in verse 12. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, Let them not be ashamed, but let them glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good let's pray heavenly father will you speak to us now god i pray lord that you would take your word god that you would apply it to the depths of our heart god that you may reveal things to us that we've never seen god you may reveal things about yourself you may reveal things about maybe darkness in our own heart that needs to be rooted out. Whatever that is, Father, will you work? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. You see, throughout scripture, we see over and over again something like have joy or rejoice. In fact, I find it interesting that um, over um, about 88 times in the Old Testament, spread across 22 books, we see rejoice or have joy. We see 57 times in the New Testament across 18 different books. Have joy. Rejoice. You see, some people think of joy as similar to the flu. Like it's something that you catch. I was going to say COVID, but I think it's still a little too soon. It's something that you catch. It's something that you try to gain. Um, Or some people think of it as in this is just the way you were born like you were it's a part of your gene it's part of your DNA that you're either a joyful person or you're not but this is not what we see of the 88 times in the old testament and the 57 times in the new testament that's not what we see instead we see through scripture that choice is not something you catch it's not your DNA but rather it is something that you choose As cs lewis says it is joy that is the serious business of heaven. You see what happens when you choose joy is that you are choosing a unique posture toward eternity and toward the throne of Christ. Um, I see a couple of different um, definitions of joy. In fact, John Piper says this. He says uh, that Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. Okay, so a little bit of happiness. It's a good feeling in the soul, but It is produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Rick Warren says it like this. He says that joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. You see, joy is a state of mind, but it is a posture of worship within your heart. And it doesn't matter what circumstance you're facing. It doesn't matter what is fleeing from you, but rather you have a joy that is anchored in Christ Jesus. Therefore, it cannot be removed from you. And this is why we see that even while suffering, that you can have joy. You see, this is where Peter begins. He talks about this joy that surprises while suffering. I mean, if you look at verse 12 again, he says, Dear friends, don't be, dis- don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. You know, I don't know if any of you like surprises. Um, I just want to admit something to you. I don't like surprises, Okay. Um, I just don't care for it. My wife says it's because I'm controlling. I f- say that it's because I just like to be able to plan accordingly and know what to expect. Okay? That's not controlling. That's just being normal. Okay? But my wife loves surprises. Doesn't mean you're abnormal. Okay? But she loves surprises. She loves spont- uh, spontaneity. She loves uh, just going with the wind. She would have been great in the 60s, you know, with a flap. I'm kidding. All right? Too far. Okay, she's giving me the eye. too far. But I'm serious. She loves being spontaneous and just goes with the flows. That's what makes her such a great mom and great wife. See how I saved it? Okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be in so much trouble. Yeah, thank you. Up top, you got me. All the women in the room are like, boy, what a moron. Okay, all right, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) She loves surprises, I don't. But nobody would like a surprise like kicking the teeth. No one would love a surprise gut punch. No one would love the shock and surprise if you were to walk out of the service today and see that you have a flat tire. No one loves those surprises. But what Peter says is, hey, don't be surprised at suffering. There's something interesting that takes place from chapter three to chapter four. His mood changes. And I'm not just talking about his physical move, but the verb mood changes. You know, I've admitted to you before that I don't like sharks. I'm terrified actually of being in the water with sharks. It's something that keeps me up at night. Okay. I have a weird mind. Okay. But the truth is, if you're in the water with a shark, you can't get away from it. But I was reading this one shark expert says that you it, it, it is so unlikely that you would be attacked by a shark if you are swimming in the ocean. Highly unlikely. In fact, he says it is one in five million. You know that you are more likely to be killed by a flying champagne cork. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Isn't that strange? Or an accidental poisoning. Or getting struck by lightning. You're more likely of those three things than to get attacked by by a shark if you're just swimming in the ocean. However, this same expert says, if a shark starts circling you, or if a shark bumps into you, he said it is almost guaranteed you will be attacked. I don't know why you are giggling at that. That's serious business. He says it is a guarantee that you will be attacked if a shark starts circling. Okay, so this is where Peter gets... At the beginning of chapter 3, when, when he talks about in verse uh, 14, and verse 17, he says, listen, uh, you, you may suffer for doing good. Okay, uh, verse 13 even, verse 13 even um, kind of asks this question. Um, he, he asks the question, who is going to harm you for doing good? This is known as the optative mood. You may suffer. There's a possibility of suffering. Just know that it could happen. It's like me saying, hey, if you get into the water, you may get attacked by a shark. But then Peter changes in verse 14, and he says, the sharks are circling. The sharks are all around you. He goes from the optative mood to this guaranteed mood that he's saying, Listen, you're not just in the water swimming and you know the risk and you realize what is going on, but never a doubt that suffering is on the way, that it is now guaranteed. He says, Don't be surprised, in verse 12, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Don't be surprised. It's on the way. I find it interesting that he says not to be surprised. He says, uh, some theologians think that that the change from chapter 13 to 14 is because he's trying to stair-step the readers into an understanding that, that, okay, let's talk about suffering in a simple way. Okay, it might happen. It could happen. Okay, now I've softened your heart. Now you can hear it's going to happen. Some theologians say that, from 13 to 14 in the midst of writing that maybe Peter received news that shifted his understanding. You have to remember, remember, this is writing in AD 64. Rome has been burned. In fact, that summer, Rome was burned to the ground and Nero needed the scapegoat and he started blaming it on the Christians, even though the historians will tell us that Nero just loved building. And so in order to build more, he needed to burn down what was there so that he can build new buildings. And as he began to blame it on the Christians, the 200-year period of persecution began. Peter knew it. And so in order for them to really understand that the sharks are circling, they know. They know that the sharks are circling. You know why? Because they're watching their brothers and sisters be burned alive. They're watching their family members be tormented and tortured in ways that you and I cannot even imagine. In fact, Nero loved racing. And Nero loved racing, but he wanted to continue to do it at night. And so what he would do is take the Christians that are burning on the crosses and he would light the racetrack at night. He would use these burning torches to light up his garments at night so he could still see them burning. And you would have to imagine that surely this is not what Jesus meant, that we were going to be the light of the world. You know, they had to be thinking that. This is why last week we learned that we have to be anchored in perseverance. For some reason, they continued. And if you read stories of the martyrs of the past, you can, you read about these crazy stories that they were singing on the way to their death, almost skipping, joyfully going to their death because they know they're about to be in front of a living Jesus. And Peter is saying, press on. Keep praising, keep worshiping. And when he says, uh, even in the midst of this fiery ordeal, he means literally, he's saying, I know they're torching your homes. I know that they're burning your brothers and sisters. I know that they're lighting you on fire, but just continue worshiping, continue praising because it is worth it. C.S. Lewis was asked the question, why do the righteous suffer? C.S. Lewis responds, he says, why not? They're the only ones that can take it. Because there's something more in our joy. It's not dependent on your circumstance. It's not dependent on whether or not you are suffering. It doesn't matter what trial you are facing, that you can have a joy within you, that knowing that nothing can take away the joy of your salvation that is anchored in Christ Jesus himself. Nothing can take that. Can you imagine talking to some of these brothers and sisters that, will soon one day be the great cloud of witnesses as we are running across the finish line. Can you imagine standing before Peter and these believers that dealt with this during that time and them knowing how soft we were at times as a follower of Jesus? Can we just face it for a second? There's no persecution like that happening here. There's nothing preventing us from worshiping together. There's nothing preventing us from being in a connect group together. We are not in fear of the government coming and storming uh, the doors at any moment and and gunning us down or setting this church to fire. We have no fear of that. And yet these believers did. Can you imagine standing with them sharing stories about church. Can you imagine sharing stories about some of the barriers that keep you from coming on Sunday, some of the barriers that keep joy from my hearts at times? And just comparing notes, there's no comparison. They were threatened to be burned alive. They were threatened to be killed. They were threatening to kill their children. And yet you and I have a hard time that if they don't sing our favorite song, then what am I doing here? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the church down the road because they might have better music. You know what? I might go to a different church because at least the preacher will wear a suit. Thank you for laughing because that was a joke. You know what? We get to pick and choose. Listen, these followers of Jesus that Peter's talking to, he's saying, "No, no, no, no. Listen, I know they're about to burn you on the stake, but Jesus is worth it." It's about surrender. It's about a posture of the heart. And let's not be naive. Suffering, trials, they exist. They exist with you. They exist with me. We may not be facing the same exact thing, but we can know that it's at an all-time high. And you know what Peter tells us? That even in the midst of trials, listen, you can be strengthened by them. Joy is strengthened by trials. I mean, this is exactly what Peter is talking about. And suffering has two types of effects, most likely. Okay, it either drives a wedge between you and the Lord, or it's like a clamp that just brings you together. It can diminish, it can weaken your faith, or it can maximize and it can strengthen your faith. And joy is much like faith. It's like a muscle that has to be exercised. And listen, every person that works out knows that muscles under tension make a great workout it doesn't matter if you're a gym rat or a jane fonda hip flexor kind of person it's all the same tension maximizes strength and this is what peter's talking about with our joy that you choose joy because it's going to strengthen you we we choose to have faith because it's going to strengthen us as followers of jesus james chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 says consider a Great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider joy. Because when you are entrusted with a trial, you are entrusted to a greater faith. When you are entrusted with a trial, you are entrusted with greater joy in your life. And James is saying, listen, consider it joy because this is a good thing. What it means is that God's spirit is resting upon you that when you suffer. So consider it a great joy. But joy also surpasses the shame you know so many times we think that we're not supposed to suffer as a follower of Jesus we're not supposed to experience trials as a follower of Jesus because when I've come to Jesus everything is supposed to be better everything is supposed to be greater well let me tell you those two things are true but it's just not in the way that we think of it for ourselves personally what peter is saying is don't be ashamed he says in verse 16, um, he says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. He says, listen, you don't need to be ashamed about your suffering. You don't have to pretend as if you're not walking through difficulty. You don't have to pretend as if everything is okay. Listen, I am a Southern Baptist through and through. I grew up as a Southern Baptist. Listen, uh, the church that I grew up in when I was really young with my grandparents, listen, you didn't talk about suffering. You didn't talk about trials. You didn't talk about things that were bothering you. And I'm not saying for everybody, but it's the vibe I got that, listen, you're not really supposed to be authentic with your faith. If somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? You say, I'm doing good. And you just keep on walking. You don't talk about your problems. Peter says, no, that's not how it is. Because if the spirit of God is on you, then suffering is on you. If if God is resting his presence in you, then, then trials are following toward you. He says, don't be ashamed of it. Understand that in every trial and every suffering that you are glorifying God in it. Therefore, you don't have to be ashamed of it. You know, on September 11th of 2001, flight 93, you know, that was a plane that crashed into the pasture in Pennsylvania. They knew what was happening. And one passenger was able to make a phone call to his wife. He calls his wife and his wife is on the other end. And he tells her a couple of things. He says, Our plane has been hijacked by three armed men and they say they have a bomb. And second, he says, "Um, One passenger has already been killed. And the third thing he says is, Please alert the authorities. The wife on the other end is, is the whole time, she's just thinking to herself, No, 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 this cannot be happening. I mean, we are married. We have good jobs. We have good kids. Things like this shouldn't happen to people like us. You know, so many times we think that that is the case. We think that if you come to Jesus, the suffering should end, but Jesus says the exact opposite. In fact, the entire New Testament teaches something different. I mean, Jesus tells his followers, he said, listen, uh, foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He, he tells his disciples things like, listen, if anybody wants to come after me, why don't you deny yourself, basically die to yourself, and then come pick up this instrument of torture known as the cross, and then you come and follow me. It was Jesus that said things like, whoever does not hate his own mother and father, his brother and sister, and yes, even his own life, you cannot follow me. You see, it was almost as if Jesus was saying, go away, you don't want to follow me. If you follow me, there will be problems. If you follow me, there will be suffering. If the world hated me, just understand, they are definitely going to hate you. If the world tortured me, they're going to torture you. But he says that in me, whoever does follow me will have life everlasting. He said that you'll have life and not just any kind of life, you'll have the abundant life. That there will be a time in eternity that all of this will make sense. And that's what Peter is talking about. When glory is revealed. I mean, remember, we can't just assume that all suffering is because of innocence. Peter has already talked about this once, that sin causes consequence. He also says in verse 15, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer. Let none of you suffer as a thief, a, an evildoer, or a meddler. He's saying, don't, don't do these things because it leads, leads to brokenness. We tell our kids all the time, listen, when you disobey God, when you sin, it leads to brokenness every time. But what Peter is talking about, you will also suffer for being good. You will suffer for righteousness because this brings God glory. It magnifies the name of Jesus. It surpasses the shame. But we also see joy supported by obedience. He says in verse 19, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator. entrust themselves to a faithful creator. Listen, we can trust that in everything that is happening in your life, that it is good for you that the pruning in your life that is taking place is so that you may be trusted with greater fruit. Did you know that? Did you know that the pruning that takes place in your life is the same that we see the pruning of a farmer so that there can be more fruit produced in your life? He says this over and over again, that the pruning will lead to much fruit, much righteousness. And so this is a good thing. Even in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, we read that we know that all things work together for good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Even Jesus with his disciples in John chapter nine, you know, they're asking Jesus when they come across this blind man, they're saying, why is it that this man is blind? Is it, is it because of his sins? Is it because of his parents' sins? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not right. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. You see, everything that God allows to take place in your life is so that he may be glorified through you, and this is what is strange about suffering. This is what is strange about joy to the world around us, because when they watch you, when they watch me suffer, walk through trials, and yet have a joy that is unshakable in Christ Jesus, they want to know, why do you live like this? How do you have this in your life? And it opens up the door for you to be able to say, let me introduce you you to jesus christ because he is the only way to life he is the only way to peace he is the only way to joy and he has a way for you what we have to identify and understand is that joy is activated by your obedience in him Joy is activated in your life by entrusting yourself, not to your own faithfulness, but to a faithful creator. Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus? Maybe you personally, you struggle with joy. Maybe you're like me, that maybe you have the joy in your heart, but it just hasn't made it to your face. That happens to me. But the first step for you to have joy is for you to surrender your life to Jesus. There's no other path. There's no other way. Some of you are followers of Jesus in this room. You consider yourself to be a Christian. But you still are just lacking joy in your life. You know, every moment of disobedience or rebellion in your life is a barrier to joy in your life. Some of you just need to come and repent and just ask the Lord to cleanse you so that you can have joy once again. You know, this is why the psalmist says, restore the joy of my salvation. It's not that we've lost salvation. It's that disobedience and rebellion have put up barriers that we can experience the joy of Christ. Some of you, Your next step of obedience is to be baptized or to join our church family. Whatever it is, maybe that that you're not walking in obedience, make that step today and activate the joy of Christ deep within your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us live out your joy. God, we pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the joy of our salvation, that you would show us what is becoming an obstacle of joy in our life and in our own heart. God, that we would abide so deep with you, God, that we couldn't help but have an expression of joy overflowing from us because your spirit is thriving within us. And so Jesus, that is our prayer today. And so Father, as we sing one last song together, Father, we are singing joyfully to you. We are singing praises to you because you have come to rescue us. You have come to save us because you alone are the son of God. And so will you remind us of that today? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.
0: Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, Maybe you need to, figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres, whatever that decision is, we want to come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, we want to walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.